Why be too busy doing me? So I hope you're doing you and I be doing my thing. intercourse welcome back world to the verbal intercourse podcast today got your host nick walker back with you today shout out to all the followers all the supporters all of the people that have been participating and listening to the podcast and also the verbal intercourse soliloquy we bring in the hottest independent jackson and mississippi and abroad artists to the table and they're spitting their hottest lyrics over the verbal intercourse soliloquy. So shout out to all the artists and shout out to all the supporters. So today we got some special guests today and we have a special topic um, based around Black History Month is wrapping up, but you know, to us, Black History Month is 365 days a year. So, you know, shout out to my black kings and queens. So we got some special guests. Shout out to Ariel Wilson, Haley Peterson, Jasmine McNair. These are three young, bright, black female student doctors. And shout out to Paul Asad. He's a dentist. Shout out to myself. I'm a physical therapist. And today we're going to talk about a very relevant topic and a very important topic. Um, based around, Based around being black as as um a threat or is racism a public health crisis well it is a public health crisis but we're going to basically talk about that topic today so um we're going to get right into it because you know i don't want to take up too much of y'all time and i feel like we could write a whole um encyclopedia on this topic but to start off i'm gonna just throw out some some statistics um black black women are three to four times more likely to experience pregnancy related deaths than white women black women are more likely to experience preventable maternal death compared to white women black women's heightened risk for pregnancy related death spans income and educational levels and also Black people as a whole are three times more likely to be murdered at the hands of the police. So that's that's one set of statistics. And then I'm going to go to this other set of statistics. Black dentists, only three, only, only black, black people only make up 3.7 percentage of dentists. Black people only make up 2.6 percentage of physicians. Black people only make up 7.3 percentage of medical students. And Black people only make up 5% of physical therapists. So all of these statistics, you know, when I when I found them, I thought, you know, those were crazy numbers, but, you know, I'm not blind to the fact that, you know, us on this panel, you know, we, we are a minority in the positions that we in. And um, I'm sure y'all see it on a daily basis on how, on how, you know, the majority of the people in 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 the fields that we are in don't look like us. So I'm gonna get into my first question, and I'm gonna start off with Ariel because <laughs> because you look like you're ready to answer a question. So <laughs> so as a and and Ariel is a is a black medical student. Um, I wanted to know as a as a healthcare student, what are some ways that you think we can we can combat this public health crisis of racism within you know the school system and within um, our patient population? Okay, so I'm gonna try to like stick to my like thoughts that I have kind of outlined because I will go on a tangent. But also, Nick forgot to say that we're all single. I would like to put that out there. He tried to play all of us. Um, so basically, my go-to response for like addressing 
we're gonna call it a crisis because that's what it is. I mean, obviously there's a need for people who look like us who practice medicine, but also um, I think my go-to response is education and not in the sense of a textbook, because I know y'all thinking like, oh my God, like education, a coo- no, I'm not like that. I mean it in the sense that like we have to address the true cause of the issues, which in my opinion are deeply rooted in the system. Um, it's deeply rooted in the stressors that we experience as black people. I think the crisis is deeply rooted in the fact that <clears throat> before now racism and implicit bias were absolutely a thing and they were always threats to our population, but nobody acknowledged them. And the truth is when you know better, you usually do better. And I think a lot of the individuals who are disproportionately affected by the things that you talked about earlier from a health perspective are in a lot of the cases doing the best they can with the resources they have. And I truly believe that if people knew better, they would do better. Now we're always gonna have people who care, but who don't care, but there are people who do care at the same time. So I think addressing the root of the problem, like you know, having black physicians, accepting black students, um, accepting black PTs, and just really like staying in tune and staying in touch with their community because we have like a really special opportunity to take care of our people. So I think it starts with addressing the issue and then also putting people out there who look like the patient population that we're trying to take care of. I don't know if that answered your question, Nick, but I tried. Yeah, yeah, you definitely answered the question. Um, I definitely agree. It's it's important. Education is the, the main thing. Um, education is very important when, even when you just talking to any patient, regardless of skin tone, um, about um, their comorbidities and their likelihood of being susceptible to to different disease. Um, specifically in with in this topic, I really feel like from from what I've been reading over time, especially because I because I try to stay in touch with research, um, I would say. Our, our terms are a little bit different since that since that research shows that these stressors and these comorbidities have been passed down from generation to generation due to um, the systematic approach to racism in our nation that they've been passed down so much as that that we can oftentimes do listen to our physician listen to our nurse do all of the right things but we still have that high likelihood of hypertension of uh, diabetes and stuff like that, which is very important right now, specifically because we're in a pandemic that we have been um, mostly affected by as um, African Americans. So, so um, that that's going to lead me to my next question. You know, all three of y'all are students. Ariel, Jasmine. Well, well, Paul raises hand, so I'm gonna let Paul speak. I kind of just wanted to piggyback off of what both of y'all were saying because at least what I feel like with and honestly with everything with this whole topic is that representation is what matters because like you said there's this per- perception of black people and when you kind of presented this to me Nick and I thought about it it's like all of the, all of the things that I would say they're probably going to sound repetitive because racism is so entrenched in American society, racism so entrenched in just American thoughts, the thought patterns of everybody, and it's even worse in those that are in these healthcare fields, in these uh, high healthcare positions, not only just in a clinic, but also in education. Like, it's important that we not only have these students in like more representation as far as like all to all uh areas of diversity uh having more students but also we need to see more people like us teaching us as well i think like at least if i'm thinking about my matriculation through school i felt more connected to people that look like me and it just happened to be that way like and i feel like the other people feel that way too the other people being white people they feel that way too and so Therefore, there's probably that lack of respect and there's that uh, just that same entrenched thought that's been in them about that. Like, these are these are thoughts that the people now are sharing with their grand grandparents, like their grandparents felt these same ways. And I mean, we see it in so many ways because they even wrote textbooks and stuff like this way back when about how. Black people were a lesser 
they felt like we were a lesser species, even though we are human. So ever since way back when, when they write these textbooks, those same types of thoughts have been, you know, have guided them. And thus they feel like we don't belong in these spaces. So their representation is, is what I feel is the most necessary as far as at least combating or trying to combat this public health crisis. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Representation is, you know, definitely the most important thing you have. Like, like you said, you have to you have to put more of us in these in these particular seats and in these positions. And it's tough because, you know, um, I would say a few of us have a seat at the table. But even some of those that have that seat at the table, they don't they don't necessarily help out their brother or their sister or somebody that's just trying to come up. Or so, even worse, they may be powerless. Yeah. Or even worse, they may be powerless. So so, you know, it's it, it's a it's a tough situation because I know, you know, when I was in physical therapy school, um, we had 50 students, we had seven of us, but then you look at the class underneath us, they had one black person out of 50, which is, you know, like that, like that's like lawsuit type of like you, like you should get a lawsuit over that, you know. So that's gonna lead me to my le uh, my next question. Um, you know, Jasmine and Haley, they they both students at in, in medical school as well. So I wanted to ask both of you this question: How do you personally cope with the stress of a medical school and you know the possibility of working with patients? You know, because the stress like I said, um, leads to those comorbidities. And, you know, I, I know, I know, and, you know, I had stress in school. I know y'all got a tons of stress right now since y'all in school. So how do, how do y'all cope with that? And also how do y'all cope with being, um, a minority, uh, a black woman in class? You know, how do, how do y'all cope with that? Go ahead, Haley. So I'm going to answer your last question first because you, you know, asked about how do we cope with being a minority black woman. Um, and one thing that I noticed is there are a couple like assumptions that people have, like it's a black women in the field that I'm going into. Number one is that like we're intimidating and two is that they overlook us sometimes. Like I've noticed times being in group settings um, where I'll give the correct answer and they'll still want to the book or check with the professor as if you know maybe I might not be correct um and you know maybe I could be assuming it but um one thing that I do to cope is to make sure I always stand my ground and make sure my voice is heard whenever the discussion whatever um and just coping in general um I remember last year when there was a lot of uh racial tension going around um I personally took a break from social media because and it at some point, it's not even just about who you follow. Um, sometimes there are a lot of like negative negativity on your timeline. And at the time, you know, I'm still in school. I still have like the stress from my exams. And, you know, even though you want to, you know, be more a part of a movement or something, you have to remember, like, let me like take a step back and focus on myself right now. And then I can get back. And it's hard because, you know, as students, I feel like in my first two years of med school, like all we do is like textbook studying. So I, at some point I started feeling like worthless to, you know, the cause of like helping other minorities and stuff as a student. So it's always the feeling I need to do more. But at the same time, I have to remember what my responsibilities are in the role that I'm in. So I think that might have answered some of your questions. Okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll say, <laughs> Nick, you're muted, so we couldn't hear what you're saying. But um, I think what I'll say helps me with coping is I'm from Jackson, so I'm from here. Um, and I think that's a blessing in disguise of, like, me coming back home to do medical school because I'm able, like, to go to my parents' house or go see, like, my family, go see my granny. Um, and that helps me, like, stay level-headed, and that just gives me, like, kind of a relief. That's how I cope with the stress. Um, I go see my parents every Sunday, like for Sunday lunch. My mom always cooks. Um, and I'll go see my granny and my aunts and my uncles when I have time. Um, so that's been helping me as far as coping with the stress. Um, being a minority, so I, I went to a majority white school my whole entire life from 
literally when I was three to 17. So I was used to being a minority. Um, and then I went to an HBCU and I came back. So it's not like a new thing for me to be like the only black person in the group or like the only black girl like in the class. That's not anything new for me. Um, but I think that I just know knowing yourself is the best way I feel like is coping in situations like that. Um, having a, having good morals, um, being deeply rooted in like your faith, that helps a lot because I mean, I don't say this in a negative way, but they will try you. (laughs) They will try you. And it's not, and I think a lot of it is just because they're not used to interacting with black people. Um, And I know like that might sound like weird because like we live in a world where black people are everywhere, but there are literally some white people who have never like had a conversation longer than like five minutes with a black person. And some of those people are going to be your future physicians. So I think that um, I guess like just being very rooted in yourself, knowing yourself, um, getting a good group, good group of people. Like I know for us, there's 10 black students in our class and we're all close and we help each other out and we support each other. Um, that's very important. So yeah, I would say that as far as coping and stress and stuff. Okay, go ahead, Erica. Okay, so I raised my hand because I feel like I'm, I'm probably one of the more uh, lenient people when it comes to stress. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm known to take a break. And I think that the reason why I do that is because the, the situation that we're in is really, really stressful. Now, first year, I really, really struggled with stress. Second year, yeah, I start telling myself at the end of the day, no one is going to care about you more than you care about you. And I think that in comparison to a lot of people that I'm in school with, that theory has really stuck with me the most. Um, I think medicine is one of the the few now, not the only career, but one of the few careers where you where you see people like completely neglect themselves for the greater good. And I'm not saying that medicine is the only career, but that's just the career that I'm in. And I mean, I see people, you know how Carisha says stressed and depressed about a piece of the degree like we'd be really out here going through it. Um, but I think for me, I had to get to a point where I was like, you know, maybe one day you'll love what you get to do. But you also got to love the idea of enjoying your life, as, like enjoying your life as well. And that's not something that you just wake up and do. Like, that's a process. So I started this process in med school where I was like, all right, sis, like this your job. This is what you do. But at the end of the day, you got to enjoy your life. And so obviously I had my struggle, my struggles. But at the end of the day, I ain't going to be too terribly stressed about it. And I think I know now that before I'm a physician, I'm a person. And like the problems that we are talking about is a world burden. It's not an aerial burden. So all I can do is the best I can do to know the most I can to take care of as many people as I can. So that's with the stress. Yeah, I would yeah. say Ariel helped me a lot with that because Ariel's known that she will take a nap. Like Ariel has no problem with taking a nap. <laughs> and it'll be in like it'll be random. It'll be in the middle of the day. But like she really is about like self-care first because i mean honestly if we're not good mentally we can't we're not productive it's not helping anybody we're only hurting ourselves and our future patients so yeah girl take a nap i'll say that yeah for sure because um it be it be people dying in professional school like literally stress kill them heart attack you know go ahead Haley. Look, I was just going to say, uh, couldn't have said it better, uh, Erilyn Jazz, because uh, burnout <laughs> is very much a thing. And it happens to people when they neglect themselves, when they give too much of themselves and forget to give back, um, you know, to themselves and just like take a break or just like, you know, prioritize the right things, surround themselves with the right people. Like these are like things that seem kind of small, like just the circle you hang around, but that all contributes to burnout. Like I was saying, like I took a break from social media. That's a very small change, but it made a very big difference. Like what you put into your body is like really important. So yeah, taking breaks and keeping the right people around you, stuff like that. And Paul, I know, I know you kind of have like a different experience right now because you know you and your residency. So, tell me how I, I know you just came from working out from the gym. So I'm sure that's you know one of your ways to cope with your stress of you know being a minority in your field. So, talk to me a little bit about how you've been able to cope with it, and and maybe how you was able to cope with it when you was in dentistry school. All right, I will say like. More so, kind of like what, what starting off with it, 
I started, well, like Jazz said, she was with a white school going up through high school up until college. It was the opposite for me. I had been at JPS, went to HBCU. And so coming to UMC was a shell shock for me. Like even like people above me, well, it started out and it ended that way, but it started out as five minorities in my class. And in the end, I think we're like six, but our class was, it's 40 people. So essentially that's a small percentage. So me looking around and not seeing a lot of people like me, it definitely was a shell shock. So I kind of stayed to myself at first. And one thing about me, uh, kind of like what Ariel said, I try not to let myself stress over too much because if you let, if you let yourself stress too much, you're not going to be productive. Nothing else going to be retained. So throughout dental school, I mean, I tried to wholeheartedly stick to the fact that I didn't want to study on Fridays and Saturdays. Those are going to be my personal days. Like I wasn't going to pick up a book. I wasn't going to pick up nothing like Friday. I, um, Friday after school, that's me time. Saturday, that's me time to have fun. Sunday, I'll pick up a book. I'm going to get back ready, get back rolling. The only times I probably broke that was during board studying, but that's board studying. You got to do what you got to do for that. But yeah, trying to have these healthy habits. Some habits don't always be too healthy, but you know, some type of coping mechanism, like you said, like working out, something just to make you feel good. Um, and I work out also because I like to eat good food. Me eating can be something that I sometimes find is, hey, that make me feel better, for real, for real. So like trying to develop these healthy habits, I recently starting to, I guess come to terms with the fact that some of my other habits ain't always as healthy, but hey, those are also, I just gotta say those are some coping mechanisms. So, I mean, trying to uh, see that I'm the minority, I kind of just resolved to the fact that I know we've all heard this, you gotta be twice as good to get half as much. So, I mean, that's something that motivates me too, cause I wanna be that person that is like, okay, yeah, he, he this, that, and third, but you can't deny his talent. You can't deny his skills. You can't deny what he know. Like, I want to be undeniable in that sense. So that's something that push pushes me and especially motivates me when I know that I know who my counterparts are. I see who my counterparts are, and they're a lot different than the people that I'm used to seeing. So those, that was something else that kind of pushed me as far as, like, being a minority in those spaces. For sure. Yeah, I you know, I definitely know what you mean. I feel like, I feel like we, um, we as black males, we kind of have to, you know, even, even, you know, be better because, you know, I feel like intellectually, when we go to these spaces, black women intellectually are, are looked at on a higher level than black males, you know, uh, when, when we get to these spaces. And um, I want to go back to what Haley said about the um, about the group about the group work, especially you know when I was in PT school, you know um, I I was the type of person in groups that you know if if I tell you if I tell you you know I think this is the answer or this is the right way to do the research or whatever, and you know I start out every group on a clean slate, but as soon as I feel like my opinion ain't been it's being taken lightly. I would literally just shut up for the rest of the time on there. Just, I, you know, I have all the right answers and just be like, you know what? I just, I just shut down, you know, and essentially I done got better with that. You know, um, when, you know, when, when y'all work in a hospital or wherever y'all work, y'all going to have case conference. And when you have case conference, you know, you, you, y'all going to be medical doctors, Paul's a dentist, but y'all going to be, um, you know, it's going to be nurses in there. It's going to be therapists in there. It's going to be pharmacists in there. Everybody is, everybody got some level of um, education level to where, you know, their opinions are important. And so, you know, being a minority in that space, you know, um, I, you, you kind of, I, I have to do the opposite of what I did in school. I have to kind of assert myself a little bit more. Because, you know, these people are sometimes, they'll, they'll say the craziest stuff. And I just be like, nah, I'm not doing that. So, you know, so, but, but like I, but it took me time to get to that level. You know, I, I used to do PCC and I used to be more laid back. But these days, 
you know, I kind of take the approach. And it's because, just like Paul said, you know, being a black male, being a black woman, you have to be, you know, twice as good to even get to that level. So, so, um, so yeah. Um, so that's, that's going to lead me to my next question. Um, I found it interesting. I've been, I've been looking up statistics because I think this is just like a very thorough topic. Um, Mississippi educational system. I actually thought it was 50, if, <laughs> but it's, but it's 46. So I guess we're making some improvement and that's a direct correlation to the low um, health literacy um, for not even just black Americans in the state, but just people in the state as a whole. You know, I work home health in rural areas and you can ask a patient, you know, are you a diabetic? They don't know what that is. You ask them, do they have the sugar? They're going to be like, yeah, I got that, you know. So that just, that just go to show you the, the literacy, the health literacy level is very low in the state. So um, but specifically right now, we're going to talk about black Americans. How do we do a better job of educating um, these people on their health risks? Because I work home health and I see I see the most, I feel like, as far as how somebody's living. I ain't saying I see the most, you know, diagnosis wise by no means, but how people be living. That's what I see. And, and you know, it'd be crazy, you know, to see somebody with uh, congestive heart failure with a whole pot of uh, jambalaya sausage. Uh, cooking in the cooking up in the um, kitchen and and they got like you know two plus a demon three plus a demon on their ankles you know what I'm saying it's, it's stuff like that that I see on a on a daily basis like do like and and I feel burdened to educate these people like but you know it might go in one ear and out the other but I definitely feel burdened to educate these people I'm a I'm gonna start off um, by letting Paul answer this question because I feel like you got a different outlook because you're a dentist. The biggest thing I feel like you said at the end was, I mean, was at the end because you feel the need when you see these things and you can educate somebody, but it might go one ear in one ear and not the other. You can lead somebody to water, but you can't make them drink. And I had to kind of realize that at some point, you just got to do what you know is right. And then it is on them to kind of be able to receive that. Like, I can't just force feed you this every time. Like, for example, you go into these home health to see these patients. I know you'll probably get, if you see the same person three times and they still doing the same thing, you're going to get tired of saying, you're going to get tired of saying it. But I mean, you have to do it. But I think one thing that I think I like a lot though, um, is, community outreach things that can uh at least you can try to com communicate to as many people at once about certain things like for example when i was in dental school we did do a lot of health fairs and stuff like that so uh doing health fairs that's an easy way to at least educate people and it's a million and one times that i can say somebody come up to to the uh table and I say, here you go. How you how you doing? Um, how often do you brush your teeth? Uh, once a day, sometimes. Or like, some people look like they don't know how to use the fuzzy end of the toothbrush. Like simple things like that. I think it starts at home, but I mean, it's really hard to kind of make people receptive to the things that they need to hear. Because I can tell you all day that. You don't need to be eating that. Even with my parents, I feel like I try to tell, I try to get my parents to kind of cut something, cut pork out. My mama ain't going to cut pork out. My mama is a medical doctor. Like anybody, like we, you can tell even the most educated person about things and they just not going to, they may not receive it. So, I mean, it kind of got to a point with me that I was just like, man, I, I go, go crazy trying to worry about everything when you got to let people have their own accountability at some time. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They, hey, you definitely right. You know, I'm a physical therapist and I, and I try to tell people to, you know, do my home exercise program when I'm not here, you know, and I exercise like five times a week, five to six times a week. 
you know, to stay in shape because to me, you know, I couldn't be no fat PT, even though they out here, it just don't make sense, you know? So, so yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, you know, you can, you, you can show them the water, but you can't make them drink it, you know? So go ahead, Ariel. I'm gonna let you put your two cents in. Oh well, okay. I go. I think Haley had her hand raised. I was just oh, agreeing. Okay, I just yeah, saw no. her hand raised. Go ahead. No, I go after Haley. She had her hand raised. Oh, okay, go ahead, Haley. Now, see, you was already talking here. You could have kept going. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, what I was gonna say is, I do agree. Um, sometimes it can be repetitive to tell people the same thing, you know, over and over about their health. Uh, and one thing I realized is, like, being in like med school is like there are a lot of times where you know we learn stuff in such a complex way, but we're also like that bridge to our patients to like put it in layman's term, break it down to what they can understand. And I wouldn't necessarily consider it a burden. I would say that it is heavy though, because even times. When I'm not in like a patient, you know, scenario, I still have like, say I'm not even at school, I'm out with my friends and like, they're curious about something like what's going to happen if I take a shot, something simple, it, they going to look at you and expect you to know what's going on or whatever. And so in that instance, it's like, you know, when you're a health professional or whatever, people always expect you to know more. And so they look at you a certain way. And so that comes into place, like, for example, um, I work with the Jackson Free Clinic and we have a community health outreach program. So it's similar to what Paul was mentioning and they do these like health screenings and things with the community health outreach program. We do things like blood pressure, BMI, blood glucose, and we do that on site. And you would be surprised how many people like don't understand, well, what does it mean that my blood pressure is this? Or you take their finger glucose and they're like, okay, so what does that mean? Is that high? Is that good? And you know, you got to put it in terms like, you know, break it down for them because some people really just don't know. And just like I said, you can tell them everything, but it doesn't mean that they'll like listen to your advice. Um, one scenario I had one time, I was doing a, a finger stick, a glucose on somebody, and that just tells like what your blood sugar is. Like if you haven't ate, it's supposed to be a fasting. And I think she was fasting, but she was at the gym and we we're doing a community health outreach program at the gym. And so she said she, she was fasting, but according to her finger stick, she was like pre-diabetic or whatever. And you know, I didn't want to say, like, I really couldn't diagnose her. I'm not a doctor. I'm a student. So I would just tell her to follow up with her doctor. And so in that instance, like, um, educating people, it's not just like you giving them a diagnosis, but telling them, make sure that you go see somebody about this number that I'm giving you that, you know, you probably haven't been to the doctor in a while, but I'm glad you stopped by this table so that you can know you need to go to the doctor. So, um, yeah, I said a lot of things, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you, I think you're definitely right. Especially, um, I like the point you brought up about um, com the, the communication, how you talk to your patient. It's for, you know, especially you know when you're talking to the, like you said, the majority of people don't know what uh, these lab values or these numbers mean when it comes to like, like if I was to just take a blood pressure and tell them, oh, it's 140 over 82, they usually ask, oh, is that good or is that bad? You know, even though you've educated them, you know hundreds of times about the numbers, they're not going to remember. And a lot of times when you go in, you, when you have patients and you use these big words, which I've seen a lot of healthcare professionals use these big words that these, it, these are intimidating to the patients, you know, especially and 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 a lot of times when, you know, I walk up in a house and these patients are black, they be relieved to see me because they might've had, they might have had a, um, a professional of a different race to come in there and not show them the respect, use big words because they don't they can't relate to the patient. So. So it's just one of them things, you know, that that is very important, you know, the words you use and and how you come off as a provider. Go ahead. Go ahead, um, Ariel. Oh, okay. So, um, Nick, you made a really interesting point when you were talking about like, it's the way you talk to people. Um, I, I think like as young healthcare professionals, like we have an interesting opportunity and I've seen it like recently in a sitting as a student, like being the black person in the room makes all the difference. Like we just communicate differently. Like we just, it's a way that we talk to each other. And it's like a different kind of connection. Like no offense to like white people that listen to the podcast, or whatever. It's just it's, it's different, and I think that it like it's noticeably different, like the white people. And so I think that there's just like a different kind of connection. And I believe that when you're able to communicate with people, 
that makes all the difference. So like it's we have a responsibility to like really remain relatable and stay humble and then maintain our credibility because our honesty is really all we have. Um, I think black people have just been disrespected enough in healthcare. So I think that as black physicians, we really have a responsibility to remain honest because that trust is already shattered. And um, I think Haley is doing a really good job with community outreach. Um, that's been like a really big thing for Black History Month. And y'all are talking about opportunities to like educate people. So it took like I had a, a pa- like I wouldn't say a patient, but I was like screening somebody and he asked me something about diabetes. And I was like, you're for real? And like didn't even realize that like he genuinely didn't know because we're so used to being pimped. But he was like genuinely con- like he had questions. And so I was like, once I got past that hurdle, it was like I, I was able to communicate with him. But I think that like we have to step outside of like the educational standpoint, because like we're used to being like quiz pimp, but it's not the same when you're dealing with patients on your own. And then another point that Paul made was just, um, it's like a two way street. Like I think the culture has kind of made it to the point where we're not like as receptive to healthcare information. Like even, even though it's coming from a young person, even though it's coming from somebody that's relatable, you know, like we know that ginger ale and Tylenol don't fix it. Turpentine and cod liver oil is not going to cure what you're trying to take care of, like you got to be receptive to the information we're trying to give you. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't care what you work. That ginger ale work. I, hey, I, I don't care what you say. That ginger ale shit work. <laughs> everything. Hey, go, go ahead, Paul. I see you had your hand raised. I kind of like once y'all start talking about this communication thing, because it, it, it makes sense. But it was something that I've been kind of thinking more so because like somebody one of the assistants at the uh residency was telling me about this they were like oh he got his voice on so i kind of wanted to ask y'all i mean with you nick i i can i feel like you probably don't do any of this at all but uh do the people do the people that y'all see or for like the medical students or when y'all are interacting with these other patients whether they be black or white or whoever do y'all do y'all do any type of code switching do y'all find yourself talking sounding different or you know just i because i had to sit back and catch myself because it was a couple of times that i feel like oh dang i do have that what they call he got his voice on i did have that voice on but i know it'll be some other patients that'll walk in and i'll be just straight up with them like i'll talk to them just like i'm talking to all of y'all right now like do y'all code switch? Do y'all feel like we should? And, or do, and do you feel like it's there's a reason for it? Because I feel like there is, because obviously I inherently do it without even thinking about it. But do y'all think it's something that at least makes it, makes these, I guess, things that we try to educate these patients on, make it more palatable for them? So I just wanted to know about that. All right. So I'm going to answer this question because... Cause that's, that's like a really great question, but I'll say this, um, it, it, that question kind of reminds me of, I would say all of us had kind of, um, structured parents growing up. Yeah. So it's kind of just like, um, you know, my parents not allowing me to get braids or not allowing me to get dreads. Professionalism is based, is rooted in racism. So so for us to look professional, all of us, all of us had to have interviews to get into our schools. Our parents made sure we looked a certain way before we went to our interviews. I'll never forget this. When I was in college, I took organic chem lab two. And it's crazy, but the guy that yielded the best product after every lab, this dude was like, um, well, like um, his his red hat kicked to the right, uh, four gold chains, four gold rings, and he yielded the best product. Like the products he was yielding were so good that our our professor would just say, "Hey, everybody, just stop and look at his." Like and and I said all that to say this, like you know. I feel like we all subconsciously kind of read the kind of try to read the room when we have patients, you know what I'm saying? Like 
with like I said, I work home health, so I kind of get a unique experience every time I go into somebody's house. Half the time, you can look at their walls and it'll tell the story. You can look at their surroundings, it'll tell the story. Just like y'all, if a patient walk into y'all outpatient clinic or y'all or is in the hospital, you can kind of, off that first sentence paragraph, you can kind of tell the story. So I kind of just base it off that. I, I would call it, I would say it's code switching because, you know, like I've been in houses where you can look at all the books and you can be like, okay, they have a higher level of intellect, you know, or you can look or, or you can look at their surroundings and be like, okay, they might have a lower level of intellect. It, they do surprise you sometimes, but more often than not, you know what I'm saying? But, but for sure, you know, you come here, you know, and, and you understand big words. I'm going to say big words, you know, if you don't understand big words, uh, I ain't gonna say big words. If I'm in PCC, where where everybody is white and I'm the only black dude, I'm gonna say big words off the strength that I'm holding it down for 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 my people. You know what I'm saying? But you know, uh, I try not to have that same approach for you know my patients. But you know, you gotta hold it down. Hey, when y'all in there, say big words. You know. And that's all I had to say. Go go ahead. Okay, I just wanted to say, um, because like, I remember I was uh, talking to our friend Kiera, who's also in medical school with us, and we were talking about code switching and how really it's like been embedded in us and embedded in us as black people, because it's a way of survival, you know, like, for us to get higher to earn more money to become more educated, we have to like, assimilate into white spaces you know but she said something to me and it stuck with me and ever since I've like kind of like adapted that is like my personal mantra is like she said she said that she was gonna stop code switching and she said she was gonna do it because we code switch to make white people more comfortable but they don't do anything to make us more comfortable so why am I changing myself to make someone else more comfortable they're not doing the same and like, that's literally how I move now. Like, I mean, sometimes I still do it subconsciously because it's just like you said, it's been ingrained in us since we were kids to like, you know, switch the way we talk when we're talking to certain people. Like I'll find myself putting on a little like white girl valley voice when I'm talking sometimes, but I try to like not do it because you're going to accept me for me regardless. Like I'm going to be in these spaces whether you like it or not. So either you're going to accept me for who I am and see me for who I am, or you're not, and that's fine, you know? Um, but, yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you're right. We're going to we, – we come in, in these spaces regardless, and and I think, you know, the more, do the more doors that we open for ourselves, the more people will get into these spaces. Haley, you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, I was just going to answer Paul's like general question. He's like, do we code switch? Like I, me, myself, just find it a little hard to like code switch, even though sometimes I do try to do it. Um, but um, when I think of code switch, I think of more so the way you talk. And it's kind of difficult for me to change up the way I talk because like, you know, I'm from Jackson down south or whatever. I never really like, you know what I'm saying, got really well and like fixing my, you know what I'm saying, grammar. Like sometimes it, it just come out how it come out or whatever. And so... I talk, I talk the same for anybody. Like my country, my vernacular, Ebonics, it's all gonna be there. Like regardless of who in the room or whatever. Now, is my information gonna come out? It's gonna come out right. Like I'm gonna have the correct information, but it's gonna come off as this girl from Mississippi. Um, on top of that, um, as far as like, I guess this kind of goes to code switching too. But I noticed like when I kind of like have like a resting face or whatever that goes into like my classmates saying I'm intimidating but I really just be chilling <laughs> and then they be like oh well I don't know what it is it'll be like a conversation we're having I guess it's the way I say it where I'm really not paying attention how my face is or whatever and then maybe just you know you can tell they are comfortable and then later it comes up in conversation and you know I'm not too intimidating I'm like why did you think that I mean am I supposed to like smile when I talk to you am I supposed to make my voice tone a certain way when I address you like I don't understand why you think I'm intimidating just like Jason because I don't make myself comfortable for you so yeah, but as far as like being around like superiors or something, there's always respect that comes with that. But when I'm talking to somebody who's on the same level as me or whatever, like I'm gonna talk to you like you're on the same level with me. Like no disrespect, but yeah. 
yeah, and Haley, I, I definitely agree with you, especially when it comes to the intimidating intimidation. I think I think honestly it's due to, you know, me and you, we both got darker skin tone. So it so so I think that definitely subconsciously plays a factor even in even with, you know, other black people. It it's just like I seen a meme the other day. They they was, you know, uh they was talking about how a dark skinned dude would say something in relation to a light skinned dude. So it just it, and 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 it's always the dark skinned dude is harder than the light skinned dude, or the dark skinned woman is harder than the light skinned woman. So I, I think they just subconsciously got a, a a really big. I think that's a really big reason on why that happens. Go ahead, Ariel. Nick, I just I gotta ask. So the dude who was wearing the chains was it Odie? Was it Odie? This dude, this, this dude that was wearing the chains that that was uh, in organic chem lab with me, like wow. this dude, this dude was probably the best organic chemist I had ever been around, and I just was like, it it was crazy because I feel like we all judge subconsciously. So you look, you look at this dude across from you, it, and, and, and mind you, we in undergrad, so. So undergrad, you know, it looked different from from grad school. You're going to be by some people that don't never pass organic chemistry. That'd be the end of their road. You know what I'm saying? But this dude right here was yielding crazy amount of products. And I'm just like, like, is he Heisenberg? Like, is he is is <laughs> is he the is he the the chemist off Breaking Bad? Like, it was crazy. But <laughs> I thought you were talking about PT school. My bad, Nick. That's why I was like, was it only? Was it only? But no, you're talking about undergrad. My bad, my bad, Nick. My bad. But um, that's gonna take me to my last and my final question. You know, we we all out here in the in the COVID pandemic, and we all been affected in different ways. Especially Black Americans have been disproportionately um, hit by the pandemic. Um, you know, we we've lost a lot of Black lives, and and it started in 2020, and and I and it was at the same time of of probably the biggest racial tension that I had seen since I've been living as far as, you know, the, the death of George Floyd, which was probably, probably the biggest, I would say that's probably the the biggest um, public killing of a black person um, since like probably the sixties, like, you know, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, it, it, it had, it had a crazy impact of like Emmett Till. Like, I feel like it had an Emmett Till type of impact and, and you know it it caused it caused hundreds of cities across the U.S. to declare racism a public health crisis, you know, like like that that and and what's so crazy about that is that you know I don't know why they keep doing all these public health um these these public health publications to prove the exact same thing on how dangerous dangerous it is to be black, you know. Is like thousands of publications and ain't nothing changed yet. So, so, but that's gonna lead me back to you know the the bigger thing at state, the COVID vaccine. Uh, a lot of black people, especially, are um, are opting out. Um, even even the healthcare professionals. You know, um, I I know I know a black medical doctor in Jackson right now that told his patients not to take it. You know, I ain't gonna say no names, but that told his patients not to take it. You know, and we and we have been affected, you know, the most by COVID. You know, due to um, the comorbidities that we have, due to systemic racism that has traveled generation and generation and generation. So, but I would say this: the people that feel like that, you know, you know, black people don't really trust the healthcare system. You know, and I think that's. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of black people don't go to the doctor. Like people my age don't really go to the doctor. You know, I try to go. I try to go at least twice a year. You know, people our age don't go to the dentist un until until, you know, they get a black tooth or <laughs> or they mouth start hurting. So um, but, you know, due to due to um, unethical things happening to black people, not just in America, but across the world. Um, and um, the, the, the Tuskegee um, experiment that everybody seems to misquote um, <laughs> all the time. Um, 
can you blame them for opting out of the vaccine? And how do you personally feel about the vaccine? I'm going to let Paul go first. All right, I'm going to say, thinking about, of course, history, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit um, earlier in when we were talking, but thinking about history, yes, like you say, Tuskegee Experiment, Henrietta Lacks, uh, pretty much a lot of these, uh, a lot of these things that we have now, smallpox vaccines, a lot of these vaccines that we have, they were tested on black people. Like more than just the syphilis of uh, Tuskegee experiment. A lot of these things that we have today, they're tested on black people and black people didn't even know what they were getting. Thankfully, some of these things worked, but some of these things didn't work. So there is that distrust that has been in there in society for many, many, many generations. I feel like now, like you said, a lot of people, even our age, don't go to the doctor. I ain't gonna lie. If I didn't have to do the, uh, we had to do like a little physical checkup or whatever before starting this residency. Before then, I probably hadn't been to the doctor since early undergrad. Like, I I didn't have a need to. And it ain't even like I ain't had no health insurance coverage. But I know that's a big thing that stops a lot of people in a lot of uh, demographics not having that health insurance coverage. If we had universal health care, I feel like there might be a little bit more of some type of trust because people may feel like, okay, it's at least, it's not going to be as expensive to go seek out this treatment that I need. Because some people need more expensive treatment, but they scared that they, they don't want to go get their surgery. They don't want to have to, who's going to pay for it? Like, that, I've definitely heard people talk about that, especially in Mississippi and in the fourth state. So I definitely understand, I, I can understand the reason for there being a uh, a distrust or apprehension on a lot of people as far as healthcare, because um, as history shows, a lot of things haven't gone right for African-Americans or Africans, period. Now, me personally, I got the vaccine. Um, I got the vaccine. When I knew that we were able to get it, I was like, I mean, I had some apprehension about it because, yeah, it came quick, but I did. I took it upon myself to go do some research about it. I took it upon myself to like read about it, see how exactly this vaccine was made. Because usually, a lot of vaccines, yeah, they take longer. They take more than eighteen months to even get to phase three trials. So this one did come a lot faster. But then I did have to go and educate myself. And the way I saw it, I felt like I would be doing not only myself a disservice, but I go, I go see my parents often too. My parents are, my parents are the population that is vulnerable to COVID-19. So I wanted to at least do what I feel like is my part. And also something researching it, I found that there was, I don't know if it's Pfizer or Moderna, but one of them, it's a black, it's a black woman that was kind of in charge of the testing and everything. So as far as seeing that and like educating myself on it because it's a different type of vaccine. So being that it's a different type of vaccine, that kind of made me a little bit more okay with it. And that kind of made me tell people who were telling me things like, no, don't get it. I was trying to tell them like, yo, it's a little different this time. Like it's a little different. We can, we can trust this one. And even though some people have had some reactions after the second shot, I feel like it still does its good. So I feel like people can't get it. And I feel like people should get it, but I, I definitely don't blame people for having any type of distrust in the medical system. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, I like, like you said, I got it, and and um, I, you know, I had I had some reaction to the first and second shot, um, and I have a history of having. Uh, anaphylactic, uh, anaphylactic reaction to a vaccine as a child, but I I wasn't afraid of it because because I kind of just figured like this is how you return to normal, and and I did the research like you said, but 
I will say this about the research. The thing about the research, and I held a clubhouse about my reaction to the shot. The thing about the research and about the information is that it's very hard for somebody that's not in our field to understand it. And that's when it comes to, that's when it goes back to what, you know, Haley and the rest of y'all was talking about, community outreach. I don't think they've done a great job at all as far as educating the pop the, the common population on the vaccine. Because, because I can sit here and, and tell you where messenger RNA does all day. But, you know, I was on Clubhouse and I and I was speaking, and you know, sometimes me personally, I don't know how to explain things without sounding really smart. And when I sound really smart, I'd be like, damn, I broke that down so anybody could hear it. But then when I go back, I'd be like, dang, understand nothing. I just see it. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's just one of them things I feel like, you know, we all have to do our part if we had an opportunity to, you know, provide the education. Go ahead, Haley. Okay. So, yeah, I agree because I was going to bring that up too. what you were saying about like information being available to people to understand the vaccine. But first, off, let me say, like, I definitely like I agree. You cannot blame anybody for not wanting to get the COVID vaccine because of like past history uh, with African-Americans and um, medicine and how they abused us in the past or whatever. Like at the end of the day, uh, me. I'm the type of person when it comes to women, my body, my choice. So I just extend it to everybody. Like your body is your choice. If you don't want to get a vaccine, you know, don't get it. But as a doctor or future doctor, I still feel like there's a responsibility to provide people with the facts or whatever. So before I got the vaccine, I'm just going to tell you, I was scared. I was like, you know what? Uh, I want to be the last person to get it. I'm going to get it, but I want to see other people get it. And then I'm going to get it. Um, that was my reaction, but I ended up going to get it. Me and Paul got it on the same day, actually. Um, but I remember I was just like, my heart was racing when I got the vaccine and it wasn't the vaccine. I was just nervous. Like I said, okay, I can't believe I'm doing this or whatever, but I got it or whatever. And one thing that like, kind of like made me like at peace was that I'm seeing like people I know get it. I'm seeing people like actively get the vaccine. Like I'm seeing people, you know what I'm saying? Talk good about the vaccine. And when I got it, you know, I posted it on my Instagram, let people know I got the vaccine. Just like, you know, how people like it's like the NBA draft for men students to get the vaccine is to post it on their Instagram page. <laughs> so I posted it and then I started seeing like, you know, some of my friends, um, you know, who aren't in the medical profession, just like say, you know what? I'm really glad to know that somebody I know has gotten the vaccine because um, now they're encouraged to get it. So I think that the media social media you know sometimes tends to take things and run with it and there's like this like negative stigma on the COVID vaccine like just playing off of people's like hesitancy to get it um there are already you know people already are against vaccines in general so they're just eating it up and adding more fuel to the fire um I think the vaccine is a good thing but I wouldn't fault anybody who doesn't want to get it um but yeah me seeing other people get it just let me know okay we in this together um if 30 years down the line, we all growing extra arms, we all just got an extra arms. So, you know, at least I know she going to have an extra arm. He going to have an extra arm with me. <laughs> Not saying that something that's going to happen with the COVID vaccine, but just knowing that other people's in the same boat with me, I was like, okay, I'm going to get it too. So, oh, my mama, I could use an extra arm. <laughs> I was going to say I can hold a third margarita, but I'd be outside, though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we all going to have extra arms and stuff. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So just like what Paul was saying with um, like, you know, saying it's like it's a little different now. Like there is like a black woman. that I can't remember which one she was involved with. And I feel bad because I feel like I should really know that. But um, knowing that there are black people who are actually working with the vaccine should like, you know, encourage people to like, although there's this like distrust because of this like tainted history of black people and the, you know, medicine and stuff like um, you know, the, you know, Tuskegee and Henrietta Lacks, like that was like informed consent, which is out of the question. Like there's more of that, even though they don't understand the research before you get the vaccine, they, you know, they give you all this information. Can you hear me? What's that noise? Y'all can hear me. Okay. Well, yeah, like I said, they give you this information so that you can try to understand what's going on. All right, go ahead, Ariel. Put put it on mute, Pop. Okay, Nick, I'm gonna go ahead and go, even though Jazz had her hand up first. But um, you asked, can we? My fault, Jazz. 
<laughs> you asked, um, can we blame people? And I'm like, no, I don't believe in forcing people anything. I don't force people. I don't force ponytails. I don't force nothing. Like, I'm not forcing nothing. That's not good for adherence. That's not good for positive relationships. Like, my job is, like Haley said, to give everybody the bit, the all the information, all the pieces, and then move forward. And I like Meg the Stallion. I really strongly believe she said, "You never ever got to push them for a thing. They already made their mind up before they came. Them people already have it in their mind that they're not gonna get." She said the other words, Jazz, but I just I, re- I remixed it because I can't say that. But anyway, um, as far as how I feel about the vaccine, Nick, I was so ready to go back to normalcy that my immediate thought was, "Bro, I went to Ole Miss." I went to school with people who didn't wash their hands or their feet. I worked in a, like, we didn't need a gross lab. Like we didn't, need, we didn't need some dirty, dirty stuff out here. This vaccine, it's okay. Because for me, it was, I would rather deal with the potential long-term complications of like whatever the vaccine was than to deal with whatever complication was going to come from COVID. And that, that was just my logic. Um, and so I was okay with it. I didn't have, I was, I didn't want to hop in front of people because I felt like there were people who needed it more than I did at the time because I wasn't in the hospital as frequently. But as soon as I found out that people who had the like people in the hospital had access to it and it was an option for them, I immediately signed up. So I was ready for it. Um, yes, that's that's just my thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like like you said, I I I got it as soon as it was available because um, I had COVID in November. And um, I knew, I knew, you know, it's it's a level of unpredictability with having COVID in relation to having a vaccine where they specifically tell you, okay, these are the side effects written down in bullet format. <laughs> so, so that's what I normally tell people, you know, you, you want predictability or you want unpredictability. So um, go ahead, Jazz. Um, I was just going to say, I don't know if y'all noticed, but like Dr. Fossey has been doing a lot of like press with like black media. Like he's been going on like different podcasts and like radio shows and all that kind of stuff because he's trying to reach black people and like tell them that it's okay, (laughs) that the vaccine is okay and that we should take it because like Nick said, like we're not black compared to other races. We're not taking the vaccine at the same rate. So for me, I'm fully vaccinated. I think all of us here are fully vaccinated. Um, And I was like, Haley, I was a little hesitant at first because I didn't, I was, thank the Lord, I didn't ever catch COVID. So I was really scared about getting the vaccine because I thought that it was like going to give me COVID. (laughs) So, but I remember my dad, my dad was one of the first people to get it. And I guess like he he has an, um, a suppressed immune system. So watching him get it and him being OK, that kind of gave me the courage to go ahead and go get it. Um, so I really do encourage anybody who's listening to go get it, because like we've been saying this whole time, like we are more likely to die from the disease. Um, and you would I would rather you get the vaccine and have like maybe some of the symptoms, which is just like a fever you might have you might have a little aches and you might have a, some congestion and cough versus like what you could have if you got the disease, which is you could be on a ventilator, you could lose your taste, you can lose your smell. And there's a lot of other symptoms that we don't know about yet because like this disease is just crazy. And there's so many different variants that's coming along with it. So um, and also I want to just say one thing about Tussie experiment. I'm, okay, I went to Tuskegee University, so like this is something that we really talked about a lot. But I want to just make this clear that for the Tuskegee experiment, the, the uh, participants in the experiment were not given syphilis. They already had syphilis, and they were working. The um, the doctors were working on a vaccine. The re- the Tuskegee experiment is important because it's about ethics. It's not about like them getting the disease and all that kind of stuff. It's about ethical. During the experiment, they found the cure for syphilis and they never told the participants about it and they never gave them the treatment. It was unethical. So stop using it for your argument to not get the vaccine because you're not citing it correctly. And that's all. Hey, hey, I couldn't have said that better myself. You know, like during all this time, I've been hearing the, the 
the craziest logic and the craziest, you know, hotel uh, conspiracy theories. Like it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and I find myself getting into arguments with people that I don't know online. Like it, like, like I feel like it's every Thursday I find my way to do it. I'd be like, who can I bother today? Like, like who, like real talk. <laughs> like, and I, it's, I, it's frustrating because it's like these, these hoteps, they care about black people and advancement of black people. But what you're doing is holding black people back because you're literally putting their health on the line. And like, you can't care about black people if you don't care about them in, in their entirety, which is like their health, physically, mentally, spiritually, all of that. So like, I don't, I don't, I've, I've, I've gotten mad one time because it was with one of our church members, Nick, and she was just like spreading really bad false inf information. And I really wanted to say something, but I held my tongue because I just feel like she don't know no better. But yeah, like not no shade, but like she just doesn't know any better. She really doesn't. So I don't get into it at all when I see all it's usually I see it on Facebook. But nah, I get I get into it. I'd be <laughs> like, I'd be like, nah, that's false. And then when I and then and then, you know. They try to they try to come and say you know you ain't holding it down for black people this that, and the other I'd be like I'd be like you know whatever dude you know what I'm saying that's crazy go go ahead Ariel <laughs> that's a long story <laughs> well no I just wanted to to make note of the fact that nobody really like we talked about the vaccine we talked about how we got it but I just wanted to under like kind of explain the concept of vaccines so like the concept of vaccines are pretty much to trick your body into immunity based on simulation of like a prior infection. So your body thinks that it's already been infected essentially. And so you either get immunity or when you are infected, you have milder symptoms. So that construct applies to the COVID vaccine. And as far as the side effects that people were seeing, th the vaccine mimics the infection. So if the actual infection doesn't cause your arm to fall off or your face to go numb, the vaccine is probably not gonna cause it. And so I just kind of wanted to talk about that because we kept talking about like, oh, we got it, we got it. But I don't think any of us talk about the actual concept of the vaccine and like how it works. So that's just like a snippet on the vaccine itself and then the concept behind vaccines. I hope I explained it like, you know, in clear terms so nobody's confused because uh -huh. we're like we're advocating for the vaccine, but we haven't really told anybody how the vaccines work. And um, I would like to add some off of that too. Um, I would say, you know, the vaccines that that they have studied for years that that are like your traditional vaccines of in our lifetime, like um, you know, I'm a little bit older than y'all, so I I had chicken pox. A lot of people hadn't had chicken pox due to you know the vaccine, and <laughs> you know, so um, you you can have the um, the um, smallpox vaccine, all that stuff. That that that's different from this actual mRNA vaccine because. From from my understanding of the mRNA vaccine, it kind of it kind of just gives your um, your your specific immunity some information. So and, and then it kind of deletes the the vaccine out of your bloodstream, and 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 that's and that's what it's doing in relation to like um, a smallpox uh, vaccine or a measles vaccine that you kind of have that in your bloodstream for the rest of your life like you can run titers which is basically you know they take your blood and they can see it still there so um so you know hopefully that wouldn't that wouldn't complex but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this podcast up by saying thank you to everybody that was on the pod today you know beautiful black people that are doing a lot of great things and gonna continue to do a lot of great things and in the health profession and i really appreciate y'all for being on the podcast and um tell everybody to follow verbal intercourse 2020 on instagram um we'll be posting this pod shortly and thank y'all for y'all participation and thank y'all for listening and we out